0: hey everybody welcome back to the goods if in fact you're joining us again we're a film podcast if you haven't been here before my name is brian i think my co-host dan is out there somewhere in the ether
1: hey brian how's it going
0: Hey, pretty good. Spring is upon us. Yeah. We're back. You've been getting out and seeing the cherry blossoms?
1: Uh, a little bit. Um, I mean, we didn't go out to D.C. where, you know, it's a destination out there. But going to some parks, seeing some, some pretty flowers, get, having my nose run and my eyes itch, you know.
0: Oh, yeah, I had some kind of cold in the past week. But I got a new drone, too, so I've been out in the parks as well. It's nice.
1: Nice, yeah what
0: kind of drone oh it is a dji air 2s so i re-upped my commercial faa license and i can come and get footage for your realty project or whatever listeners might be working on in the videoscape
1: gotcha that's cool
0: and as always we've watched a movie that we want to talk about this week this time around it's our first ever indian film what we'll be talking about here in a minute, it's called Intheron uh, or The Robot. What's been your exposure previously to Indian cinema, Dan?
1: Virtually none. Like, I was trying to think if I had seen any Indian films prior to this. I don't think, I can't think of any. I've seen snippets of some, and obviously things influenced by it, and lots of parodies and references, but never a whole Indian film. So this was new ground for me.
0: Yeah, I will also admit that my exposure to it had not been very broad at all. Basically, I had heard about Bollywood. And what I knew about Bollywood was lots of people are involved. It cranks out lots of films. And as far as I knew, that was like the Indian film industry was Bollywood. But... I had some Indian friends in my college film program, and uh, one guy in specific kind of opened my eyes somewhat by telling me that actually there are multiple different film markets and film production centers in India. Bollywood is based in Bombay, uh, now called Mumbai, and they make films in the Hindi language, but... All throughout India, there are different languages, and it seems like if there's a big city where they speak that language, they are churning out films in that language. So robot, what we'll be talking about today, is part of the Tamil film industry. It's also called Collywood, and this is based in the city of Chennai which is the capital of Tamil Nadu, which is an Indian state. And do forgive us, as always, if we mispronounce something. Longtime listeners will know we've tackled a few Japanese films at this point. Recently, we had a Chinese film. Thought it was time to check out South Asian cinema. So, Tamil Films is like a, a secondary market to Bollywood. It says it accounts for like a quarter of... Indian film output, but uh, there's also films made in Malayalam and in the Canada language. You got Bengali films, Marathi films, Punjabi films, Bajpuri films. There's a lot of people in India and they're making a lot of movies, basically. It makes me think of a Simpsons joke where Apu is showing the family an indian film and he said it was a huge hit it made the top 400 the year it came out (laughs) that's pretty funny yeah the the wikipedia article says that uh in 2019 there were 2446 indian films produced
1: oh my so
0: top 400 is high praise yeah
1: apparently upper echelon my wife, when we were in high school or maybe college, she and I, th- I think her mom or maybe her friends, I don't know, they they watched at least once and frequently referenced this Bollywood movie called Bride and Prejudice. So it's like Pride and Prejudice, but with a B in the front. And it's kind of what you think of when you think of Bollywood. It's like big dance numbers. That's one thing I learned. I took a, I read a film history book recently and like that's kind of always been a thing in India. It's never not been a thing is that the majority of films that like we as American audiences would expect to never have musical numbers or at least not elaborate sung and dance numbers, they just pop up in every genre and they're always there. And anyways, Bride and Prejudice big Bollywood style one that I've been thinking maybe someday I'll bring to this pod because I've never actually seen.
0: Gotcha. Yes, that was one other thing that I knew about Bollywood films, especially. I took an ethnomusicology course in college, which is discussion, study of the music produced in different cultures. And the teacher essentially said that Music numbers are so big a part of cinema language in India that, like, to not have it in a movie would, like, almost make it not a movie. That's so wild. And so, don't be surprised if some music numbers pop up in this movie we're about to talk about here. Now, I first came across Robot when it was featured at the William & Mary Global Film Festival in 2011. It's a 2010 film, and it was directed by an Indian filmmaker who goes by Shankar. I guess the full name is Shankar Shanmugam, but it's like Cher. He's just Shankar.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of people in the Indian film industry similar. I was looking at some credits for some related films and lots of single names popping up.
0: Yeah, indeed, the star of this movie is an actor who goes by Rajnikanth, all one word, too. And this was an international collaboration in some respects. That was how it was hyped at our film festival. So uh, let's back up for a second. I want to talk about my involvement with the film festival at William & Mary. So 2010, my sophomore year is really when I decided that I wanted to major in film. And that year, I went to the College Film Festival for the first time. This was billed as a curated film festival. So, some film festivals, if you're a big deal, people submit their movies to you. And, like, their new movies that they just made, and they want to get exposed out there into the world. Well, this was not that. This was just the film teacher deciding what movies he wanted to show that year, regardless of when they came out. And the goal was just show some international
1: movies. Okay. That sounds fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This one was recent at the time though. And some people involved with making the movie came to visit and do a Q and a at the film festival. I I mentioned in the past, uh, one of the films that we showed, uh, because I, I went to visit the film festival and see what it was all about in 2010. I decided I wanted to be a part of it. And so in 2011, I was involved with putting it on. Uh, and what I'd mentioned previously is that also in this 2011 year, we showed house the supernatural Japanese horror film from the seventies. And actually the director of that one came and talked
1: about it. It's it's so amazing. Yeah. Which we obviously we talked about on the goods, Right and what what was his name Oamatsu? or I'm
0: I'm making that up.
1: I don't I don't have it up. Uh Uh yeah, Obayashi, Nobuhiko, Nobuhiku Obayashi.
0: That was it. Yes, he and his daughter were there and talked. And from Robot there were some of the Indian filmmakers, but the guy who really caught my eye was a guy named Vance Hartwell who was an American, and he was responsible for making some of the prosthetics here, like some of the physical effects, makeup work stuff. And his boast was that he had built the giant model of David Hasselhoff that SpongeBob rides in the first SpongeBob movie. Oh, I've seen that.
1: (laughs) That's pretty funny.
0: The Hoff. Yep, so... And then this guy was, like, you know, going around to house parties, drinking with the students. And this was Vance Hartwell. And we were Facebook friends for a long time. But then, mysteriously, he disappeared from my friends list. So I guess Vance Hartwell unfriended me. So you're on blast right now, Vance Hartwell. Maybe he deactivated his account or something. Maybe so. Who can say? Every time my friend count goes down, it's a gut punch, so... (laughs) I, I hold grudges, I guess. Maybe that's why I get unfriended. Who knows? We're moving on. But just know that I, I was exposed to this movie previously, and I never forgot it. There's some unique things that happen in this film.
1: Definitely. I, I can safely say I've never seen a movie like this before.
0: Um, a little more about the film festival. Typically, it happens in February... Uh, This was back in the day, at least, and it it would either be like happening on Valentine's Day or on President's Day, around about the middle of the month. In more recent years, it's moved around the calendar a bit. And this actually is going to be a timely selection because this year, for the first time, it's in the first week of April. And... I actually submitted the 100th episode of my public access TV show, Count Gauntley's Horrors from the Public Domain. This is kind of on a lark. I didn't think they'd actually do anything with it necessarily, but they're going to show it on the big screen. And they invited me to come do a workshop down there like I was a real
1: deal alumni filmmaker. So it's it's going to be cool. That's awesome. I think at this point you just say... This You now are a real deal filmmaker. You, your inclusion here, it's not like you are because you are now. It's like what Ron Swanson says. If someone says to Ron Swanson, that's not the way an award winner would act. And Ron Swanson says, every way that I act is the way that an award winner would act because I have won an award. <laughs> and so now you're a real deal filmmaker. So everything that, that you do is is what what a real deal filmmaker would do. So
0: that's that's so cool. That's right. Good way to think about it. And yeah, they even gave me some money. They called it a stipend. So
1: I guess I'm a professional filmmaker, too. Wow. Commercial filmmaker. Have they actually watched the episode? Do they know what they're getting themselves into? (laughs) Was this an informed decision on their part? Who
0: can say, but they're going to see it soon. (laughs) And it'll be yet another chapter in my, my film festival story uh the theme in 2011 because at least for like the first 10 years it was going on every year would have a theme so 2010 was global film and music and so music had to be prominently featured in all the movies that they picked this year it was called supernatural and it was written out super slash natural And so it had three themes. It was films that were related to superheroes, films that were about ecology and the natural world, and like supernatural horror films. Oh, man. So a lot of things in this kind of mixed bag and the students producing it kind of made jokes about how weird this premise was and just like nonsensical. And the joke that I made was you might as well have a festival where the theme was dancing slash animals and you have dance movies, animal movies and and movies with dancing animals.
1: (laughs) Dancing slash animals. I like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But this, this film, I mean, it fits the bill. It's got like, like, I guess maybe a superhero, It definitely has some weird stuff going on outside of the outside of the typical outside of the natural.
1: Well, I don't want to jump the gun here, but the sequel to this movie, there was a sequel made would have fit absolutely perfectly into super slash natural because it has an ecology theme. It leans more into superhero stuff, and it's also got more of a horror vibe to it than this one. And so, like, it would have hit all three perfectly.
0: Oh, wow. So did you actually end up watching that one? I did,
1: yes. Yeah. I'll
0: bet you did. We discussed earlier today, like, not even that long ago. So are you are going to watch this sequel? He was coy. He played coy. I, I suspected that he still would. It, it. Okay, interestingly, the sequel's up on Amazon Prime, but the first one, our featured film, this episode was pretty difficult to f- track down on the streamers. Like it didn't even pop up on Roku as a thing that could be watched anywhere. And on Amazon, it was just like a picture that didn't do anything when you clicked it. Uh, the way I ended up watching it was on my Amazon Fire Stick. It said I could watch it on the Zumo app for free. <laughs> so that's what I did. At X-U-M-O... And the video quality was really bad, which I would say watch this in a way that you get good video quality because you'll thank me at least during the music sequences.
1: I had a hard time tracking this one down as well. I ended up finding a a copy online that I was able to stream and I watched it on a, a laptop monitor and an iPad. So like video quality in general is not like a really standing out one way or the other, but I didn't notice it as being particularly bad. So it 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 was fine. That's good.
0: It was cool seeing it on a big screen.
1: Yeah, I can believe that.
0: Oh, and the night that this showed, the thing that was coming up next after this movie was the theatrical screening of Troll 2 that I arranged. Oh, that's awesome. So it was a good night. But now, are you ready to actually talk about this movie? Get down into the nitty gritty.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: So the the stars of the film, as I said, Rajnikanth plays a scientist named Doctor Vasigerin, and the other characters call him Vasi for short. So I'm not sure if we actually learn his his like real first name. Yeah. Uh, but it's Vasigerin and and Vasi are what we hear and he also is pulling double duty because the scientist has spent years developing a super-advanced android. So a robot that looks like a person, and the person that he looks like is the scientist himself. So he's really making it in in his image.
1: It took me like 20 minutes to realize that it was the same actor. I'm going to do my best to avoid stereotypes as we proceed
0: (laughs) well it's okay i mean they say that the uh the thing on iphones where you unlock it with your face doesn't work
1: in china really like (laughs) really truly they they were articles about this wow uh there's a man great connection here did you ever see the show better off ted i have not seen that one it was this corporate Satire, um, had some of the talent from Arrested Development. It wasn't as good as Arrested Development, but it was quite good and it lasted one or two seasons. Very funny, but its iconic episode is they introduce a bunch of automated technology using cameras into the workplace and it doesn't work on any of the black people in the movie. (laughs) And so they band together to go complain to corporate and they get on the elevator. But the problem is the elevator has the same camera technology. And since everyone in the elevator is black, they get stuck in the elevator and can't get out. It's really funny.
0: (laughs) So the first like 10 minutes of the movie is the scientist and his two goofy lackeys like uploading different areas of knowledge to the robot. And so this robot is learning like martial arts and dancing and all kinds of different skills that they're um, programming it to do. Anytime that they're in this
1: lab, I just kept thinking of the movie sleeper by Woody Allen. So this was an early Woody Allen movie before Annie Hall. Uh, have you ever seen sleeper Brian?
0: No, that's a new one to me. Uh, Trust that there's going to be a lot of other movies title dropped
1: in our discussion here. Just other movies that we thought about. But um, Sleeper, Woody Allen plays a guy who, like with cryotechnology, accidentally gets sent to the future. And the way that he makes it in the future is he pretends to be this like part of this series of these. Because Woody Allen's really short and scrawny, this diminutive little servant robots And this lab has these robots that look exactly like Woody Allen dressed up as a little servant robot. So I was I was thinking of it the whole time. Kind of like a wobbly gait as they walk. Interesting. But I think you would like that one because it's it's like a dystopian future with robots and stuff. But it's also like a dumb slapstick comedy. So it's got it's got a pretty interesting blend of tones.
0: Nice. Yeah. Love a good robot movie, as it turns out. In our discussion this week, we've realized there's kind of a lot of robot movies out there. I'm sure you can think of a handful, listener. But while the guys are cooped up in the lab working on the robot, we see calls and texts are coming in from a woman named Sana. Soon we learn that this is Vasigarin's fiancée. But... He's neglecting her because all he cares about is making this
1: robot. She's played by Aishwarya Rai, who happens to be the star of that movie, Bride and Prejudice, that I mentioned. Oh, no way. Yeah, it's crazy. That's pretty cool. Uh, uh,
0: apparently, she's not the star of the sequel. She's not in the sequel. Is that true?
1: Yeah, she only appears as in a pictures in the sequel. Okay. Like, she's... She's on travel and she calls and so you see her picture on the phone and then I assume it's not actually her voice, but you hear a voice that's supposed to be her. Uh-huh.
0: Well, at least you get some explanation.
1: But She is insanely beautiful and the, the male actor lead is like just so go- looks like a total goober and like,
0: I don't know. So a couple of thoughts on that is, I mean, he looks all right in the movie, but if you look up a picture of what he looks like IRL, he is ugly. He is, (laughs) he is really rough. Like all his hair, I mean, maybe in 2010 he had hair, but he doesn't now. So (laughs) maybe it's a wig even at this point, but he was pulling above his, his level pulling above. he, He had game. That's right. Well he's a he runs his own robotics lab, so he's probably got some money, but yeah, um, yeah, he's doing okay for himself. And yet he's ignoring her. And so finally, when she is able to reach him, she's like, I've gotta call off this engagement because you're completely ignoring me. Uh, but then when they like meet to give each other, you know, back all the gifts that they've exchanged and just, you know, oh, here's your toothbrush from my apartment. Give me my toothbrush from your apartment. And they're exchanging all their stuff. He says something like, well, we've kissed 500 times, so you have to give me back all those 500 kisses. And that weird line of logic works, and soon they're making out, and then the... Stormy waters are calmed for a while.
1: I want to throw in here, I don't know when's the right time to talk about when it abruptly shifts to these songs.
0: Yeah, so this is where I was going to do it, because okay, <laughs> when they're, you know, kissing 500 times, it like fades into a music number. And this happens multiple times in the film. Uh, I think this is the one where they're out in a desert and at least one YouTube comment I saw said this is in Brazil. Definitely some of the music numbers are filmed in exotic locations in like countries that aren't India.
1: Interesting. Yeah. This is the one where this actress, she's kind of dressed down. I mean, you can tell she's beautiful from the start, but then it jumps to this, uh, number and she's like heavily made up with elaborate hair in this form-fitting dress and it kind of hits you the disparity in the looks between the woman and the man and she's got like these four super colorful dresses that she switches between throughout the song
0: yeah so many costume changes in this movie during the songs like even over the course of musical number yeah they'll have like four sets of costumes And I think in this first one, it's just the two of them. It's like her dancing around this desert oasis. And he's like pretending to play the guitar. He's like sitting on a chaise lounge.
1: Oh, yeah, this one's crazy because they have what might actually be a drone shot or a helicopter shot. And it's like hundreds of feet in the air. And you literally can just see the two actors dancing across this desert. Like it's like a square mile you can see. And it's just those two people. It's no film crews or anything in sight. It's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, amazing visuals. Like, everything about the production value seems to jump when it'll cut to one of these songs. But pretty soon we go back to the plot proper. The scientists are continuing to develop this robot. And eventually it gets to a point where it's complete enough that they can take this robot around and show it off to people. So one of the first places that Vasigurin takes the robot is to his parents introduce his mom and dad to the robot and his mother gives the robot a name which is Chitty, uh, Chitty Babu. But for the rest of the movie, everybody calls him Chitty. And I don't know if this is a common Indian name, but what it had me thinking of the whole time was the film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where they call the car Chitty for short. That's probably not the intended reference, but... I think it adds something because in that film, the car is the product of an eccentric inventor and it has all kinds of hidden features that like even the creator doesn't know all the things that are inside it and all the different things that it can
1: do. I just kept hearing shitty when I was I knew it was shitty because I had subtitles, but shitty. I was like, OK, that sounds like they're they're cursing out this dumbass robot. But yeah. One thing, one question I had, maybe I'm just dumb on filmmaking. How did they always have him, the robot and the creator in the same frame? It was really seamless sometimes. I mean, they probably did like a double exposure, not not exactly double exposure. I don't know what you call it, but like digital editing, kind of like what Robert Rodriguez does in some of the Spy Kids stuff. But I was like, I didn't notice the seams as often as I expected to. Right. It
0: is interesting. They do a good job, especially there's a couple moments where they like hug each other and they like actually lean in and touch each other. And it's like, okay, now they're showing off and it works pretty well, especially considering some of the effects you definitely see the seams. Yeah. Anytime something is CGI, it's rough, which I mean, all the more props then to their practical effects. Right another place that Vasi takes Chitty to show him off is this uh, international panel of robot experts. It's presented in English. So like people are here from a bunch of different countries are supposed to be Uh, that, that is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, they speak English in India. It was a British colony. And so kind of a weird after effect of that, a legacy is that, I don't know the word for it. Like, you know, there's Spanglish, where it's Spanish, and then all of a sudden there will randomly be a word of English. Well, that, it's like that, but Tamil, and then all of a sudden they'll say like five words in English and then go back and forth.
1: Really threw me off. I don't, It was just so distracting when, it's like when they would start talking in English. It's like I'm used to either tuning you out or listening, and then if you say if I hear you say the thing and I'm not expecting you to, it throws me off the game, especially when it's like a, a thick accent. It's like the audio equivalent of Uncanny Valley in my brain there for a second. It's like all of a sudden they'll end something
0: with, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Or it's impossible.
1: While we're on weird ticks, okay. They kept doing a thing that must just be an Indian thing. Where like, when they are enthusiastic about something, they end the sentence by pointing their finger forward and saying, dot. Which, I, I'm assuming is like a cultural thing and not something that was made for this film.
0: <laughs> I took it another way. I think that's just a quirk of the scientist.
1: Interesting. So you think he does that? It's like,
0: you know, it's like saying period, I guess. He's like emphasizing it. And, but what this guy says is dot. Okay. Okay. I don't think it's a common thing among multiple different
1: people so it it was mostly invented from this for this film as far as you know. okay.
0: That's my assumption though again I haven't watched many Indian movies i I just thought it was a like a geeky thing that he does right. but at this robotics convention, the presentation of Chitty is witnessed by. Vasigaran's old teacher, Dr. Bora, who we're getting bad vibes from right from the start. And Bora is awestruck at how sophisticated Chitty is. We're soon going to see that Bora has his own rival robotics lab where he's working on an Android too, but nothing he's made is getting near the level of how advanced Chitty is. Uh, All his stuff is inferior,
1: and so he is now jealous towards his pupil. I want to walk back one thing you just said, which is you said from the start we get bad vibes from him, and certainly from the start of meeting him we do. One thing I don't know if we've said in our runtime thus far is that this movie is three hours long. We don't meet the villain until I check the clock 34 minutes into the movie, Uh, the the start goes on quite, quite a bit before we actually hit a narrative conflict. That's a good point.
0: It's an epic, and it's almost like a serial or something. It's like there are different chapters of the story that, you know, lead one into another and yet, in some ways, stand on their own. I
1: agree. It's like separate little arcs. Well, there's like whole chapters that are like sitcom episodes. Yeah, you could watch it in chunks,
0: Uh, but the the whole, like, jealous robotics professor watching the student develop something more advanced than he could do himself reminds me of Big Hero 6 from Disney, which wouldn't come out until years after this one, but I was getting some of that energy.
1: Oh, I can definitely see that, yeah. Although you kind of just spoiled the end of Big Hero 6. Yeah,
0: sorry, I guess that's the twist. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's okay <laughs> people will forgive us i think i guess vasigaran's ultimate goal for the shitty robot is to sell it to the indian army or like gift it to the indian army which feels like a weird goal to me just because like the things that he's doing most of the time I don't know. They they didn't feel to me like they were leading to making the robot a weapon, necessarily. I, I mean, he does give it the martial arts powers, but the focus isn't on warfare in what we see of the training. It's really just like, give him
1: every skill. Right. Maybe it's a Spy Kids thing where you need him to fully fit into society before it can be covert. Right,
0: you gotta give him the third brain that Antonio Banderas made.
1: But I, I gotta say, if our hero his intent is to sell it to the military to go out and kill things, that's usually the villain's motivation in American movies. So I don't know I was as soon as this came up, I was wondering like what we were supposed to think about this. And my takeaway Spoiler alert, is that we were never, I mean, I guess a little bit by the end, but like the the fact in and of itself of selling it to the military was never really deconstructed or questioned too much.
0: Uh, okay, or maybe that was never supposed to sit right with us. You know, maybe it's supposed to stick out as like, huh, I wonder about that. Has he really thought that out? Maybe. But anyway, before this can get sold anywhere, it's got to have the approval of something called the A.I.R.D. board, which it took me a while to figure out what it stood for. But it is the Artificial Intelligence Research and Development Board. And who should be at the head of this board but Dr. Bora. So without Dr. Bora's go ahead, we'll never have an army of chitty robos. So at an early presentation of the robot, Bora says, no, we can't approve Chitty. And because of what we, the viewers, have seen, we know that he's super jealous and he doesn't want to let and star outshine his own. So he's going to, like, artificially hold back Chitty, if he can. But... The excuse that he gives here is that he like shouts out a string of commands to Chitty and the robot is following all the instructions. And then suddenly Bora yells, kill the Sigurin! And Chitty is just about to do it. And Bora stops him and says, see, he does whatever you tell him to do. So that's like unlimited potential for following any order. And he's got to have some kind of constraint. So no, we're not going to pass... The robot
1: good yes we don't that I'm, I'm on board
0: yeah i agree <laughs> uh, some of the things that bora does are sensible but obviously and is miffed he wanted his robot approved he wants to make more robots get them out there into the world doing their robot thing on his way home he just chances across a burning building full of people outsider style We don't know why the building's on fire, but it is, and there's people in there, so there's rescuing to be done. And he sends Chitty in there to get out as many people as he can. So cue some weird CGI, because immediately the high heat melts off his skin, and so he's running around as this, like, less realistic-looking version of those robots from the the Will Smith iRobot movie, basically. That was my thought, too. A very iPod-looking, like, white, smooth robot underneath the skin. He's jumping in and out of the wreckage, rescuing people. And it's all getting captured on TV cameras, and there's a growing crowd. So everybody's witnessing his heroism. But then the robot jumps in and rescues a woman who was trapped in a bathtub. I guess she was taking a bath while the building was burning down and she protests, oh, you can't come in here because I'm naked. D- don't don't touch me, I'm naked. And he grabs her, you know, and saves her from a fiery death. But the only thing that matters is she's naked to her. and And now she's outside in a crowd of people with cameras rolling. And this is so shameful, I guess. That she
1: immediately runs into traffic and kills herself. She gets hit by a bus, like Regina George and Mean Girls. Yeah, and it's
0: caught on camera and immediately televised because I guess there's no five second delay.
1: So, you know, cultures are different and all that. This was not the only time I felt like there was some weird gender stuff going on in this movie. Where like, I don't know, expectation of women just being like, I don't even know exactly what I'm trying to say, like sexual objects or not even sexual, but like uh, not fully autonomous in the way that men are and not having like the same control of themselves really became a weird thing. There is one scene later on where like the vibe was a gang rape, I gotta say. (laughs) Like later in the movie, just lots of weird kind of creepy gender stuff in and out. I mean, yeah,
0: liable to happen, I guess, if you're on a bus in certain parts of India. I've seen quite a few news articles to that effect. But yeah, it's like if their virtue is in question or out there for everybody to see, that's a fate worse than death. Right. It's like you just got to immediately die. So yeah, a little weird. Different ideas of morality in different countries. So now Vasi's back to square one in some ways. He's He's been publicly disgraced. So they're all the further from getting that much
1: coveted public approval for Chitty. It's so weird, though, because he, he saved a whole bunch of people in a burning building. And it just so happened that, like, in the midst of that fire, someone was taking a bath. And then she happened to run out into traffic when a bus came by. It's like Jurassic Park using the amphibian gender-switching DNA levels of contrivance that needed to get you into this trouble.
0: Exactly. Yeah. They, they don't focus on the, you know, 20 rescued people. It's the one, like, weird honor-killing casualty thing that everybody focuses on. Right. But it's back to the drawing board. He's going to get that robot approval somehow. And something that's going on, I mean, you mentioned that uh, the bus scene, um, Sana, the girlfriend, starts hanging out with the robot in her day-to-day life. Because I guess they, they want to, like, get the robot out into the world, learning things IRL, and um, being seeing and being seen by people. And so Sana's taking him shopping and stuff and introducing him to people. And she comes to appreciate all the different skills that he has. Like, we find out that Chitty is an excellent cook. And obviously earlier we saw that he's like a master martial artist. And all these different things. Uh, and, And yeah, there's a scene where she's like about to get gang raped on a bus. And he turns into Bruce Lee and is kung fu fighting everybody. The humans in this movie are super persistent. Like, you would think after a whole train of people have all been kicked in the face by a superhuman robot. Like once each, that would be enough to just stop and say, we can't do anything here. (laughs) This is like a tiny Godzilla. There's just nothing you can do to this guy. So let's give up. But no, people stick to their guns here. People fight the good fight or the hard fight. They give it the old college try and they just keep coming to get kicked and punched and beaten over and over again by this robot. Like this bus fight scene goes on for like 10 minutes.
1: But I will say I was actually appreciative of this because one thing that I really like about this movie is it's action scenes are really imaginative and really play in nicely with the premise of the film where he's like a shape shifting robot with special robot powers and like he's got a magnet so he makes all these things come and like even when these scenes run on long they're doing interesting and cool things that i was like that that's just really clever and really cool and like i've never seen an action scene like that before where hey he like pulls all the guns into himself and then he swirls in a circle and all 16 guns that he magnetized to himself are shooting these people approaching him just like all sorts of wild stuff Oh, he he like uses the magnet to propel himself down the the train track and just lots of lots of really inventive and visually creative stuff going on.
0: That's true. This movie really takes its time to like offer up all the different angles on things and you just see all the different things that the robot can creatively do like, he gets knocked out of the train, but then you see he's got, like, heelys, like, wheels that unfold out of his feet and turn him into roller skates, and then he can, like, skate down the railroad tracks, and he's, like, running along the top of the train, and then he, like, magnetizes his feet, and he's running along the side of the train. Yes, all kinds of different things, and, like, at one point, he fights a bunch of thugs with the, the magnet power that he has, he, like, takes their weapons and uses them against them. And so then later, the thugs come back and they all have, like, caveman weapons, like wooden clubs and big rocks to hit him with. Like, haha, you can't magnet these things.
1: Yeah, that was fun. And then at that point, he, like, magnetizes the buckles on their belts, so they get embarrassed because their pants come down and their belt comes flying through the air and all sorts of stuff, just... Lots of cool stuff. Lots of, like, clever uh, little scenes. Right.
0: And I think what we have to take away from this movie, the real moral, is that if you're going to make a copy of yourself, don't make it superior to you. Like, don't make a clone of yourself who's better at every conceivable thing than you are. And if you do, especially don't let it spend time with your girlfriend. (laughs) It's not going to end well. But yeah, citing the incident that happened earlier where the the woman ran out into traffic, uh, but also I think because he knows this is going to sow discord in Vesegrin's personal life, Dr. Bora says that the only way he's going to approve Chitty for mass production is that Chitty's going to need to understand people's emotions. He's going to need to know how to react sensibly to human sensitivities and sensibilities. This is, you know, pretty common ground for robot stories. It's like we we gotta make the robot more human. We gotta teach it to love. I mean, there was a gauntlet episode about teaching a robot to love. <laughs> yeah. And and so they need to to get the approval, teach Chitty about like art and beauty. Vasegererin even says that he gives it
1: hormone software, which uh, I feel like if you're gonna replicate elements of the the human experience, having strong visceral reactions to hormones might not be the first thing I go to. <laughs> what What would you do, Dan? What would you do differently here when you're building your Android? So it comes up and then is briefly discarded. Does it follow Asimov's three rules? And it doesn't. And I feel like I would start with, you don't hurt people. Just like anytime you take an action, calculate, will this hurt people? If it's going to hurt people, you don't do that thing. And like, I don't know. I feel like they could have used that as a starting, like I'm a, they could have used that as a starting point. Like I'm a, in the software business and, There are ways to write basic if statements. Hey, if blank, then throw exception, as in stop doing whatever you're doing. And I feel like the programmers could have done a little bit of debugging on what is a very important element of this. I mean, I guess if the idea is you're making a Iron Giant-esque big old gun that's going to go and kill people for the army, then... You know, that's probably not a failsafe you've built in. But if I were making a robot, that's where I would start.
0: Yeah, as we'll see, maybe the hero and the villain's goals are not too different in the end. But, yeah. So now Chitty does get the uh, approval of the AIRD. Bora gives him the go-ahead. And at this, like, Star Wars medal ceremony that they have for the robot, Sana kisses him on the cheek. And... (laughs) Obviously, he's just been shot up with hormone software. So now the game's afoot. We get this music number where (laughs) the robot has his sexual awakening.
1: This is the best number. Yeah, the best in the the movie. Yeah, it's really good. They're like C-3PO and she's dressed like various sci-fi tropes and... Just lots of crazy cool color designs and production designs and costumes and stuff. I love this number.
0: Yeah, because we get a CGI sequence where we're like going through the inner workings of the robot and then it goes to this big hall where Sana and Chitty are, but then there's also all of these like Daft Punk robot dancers and... They too have like four costume changes because they start out shiny silver and then at another point they're shiny gold and then they have a costume change to like this matte brown like clay color, almost like the putties from Power Rangers, but they have spiky heads. It's really visually interesting and they're all doing this choreographed dance and like from now through the rest of the songs in the movie every musical number has these huge troops of background dancers, like 50 men dancing with the man and 50 women dancing with Aishwarya Rai. Like, it's a ton of people. Really big undertaking.
1: Yeah, it definitely escalates on the musical numbers. I wonder how intentional that was. It's like the first number, it's cool because they're kind of alone in this big tropical space singing lyrics about... How many neutrons and electrons are in your blue eyes? And then, like, an hour later, we have hordes of robots dancing together in, like, some underground chaos lair. I I was digging it, man. It was was very fun. Yeah, I
0: love the music numbers. Yeah. And (laughs) I also like when Bora is looking on and sees Sonic kiss the robot and, like, all the things that are going on in the robot's head and heart. He just kind of chuckles and says, now the story has begun. <laughs> like, this is his plan all along. <laughs> you know, like, plant the seed that what needs to happen to, like, tear Vesegrin's world apart is make the robot horny.
1: Although it points out two or three times that this robot is is from the outside anatomically correct, but does not have a penis or at least can't use it if it does. That joke comes up a couple times, so...
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, they talk about, like, what are the things that sets him apart from a person, and yes, no penis is part of that.
1: <laughs> I did like when they let the robot go into mode of the mode of, like, am I human? Why am I not human? What separates me from a human? What can I do to be more human? Oh, I need to love. Okay, now I love. Am I human now? Well... Why is my love not human? And it's like, it doesn't linger on these things too much, but it does a little bit of it. And I thought it was, it showed that they'd put a lot of thought into the premise and the, all the stuff that they were doing. I definitely, it felt lived in to that, that regard.
0: Exactly. It's thoughtful. It reminded me of the movie Bicentennial Man, which I hadn't seen, I think, when I watched Robot the first time in 2010 but i had seen since then before this go-round and i think that's based on an isaac asimov story but in the movie it's uh, robin williams as this character who starts out as like a completely mechanical robot and over the years he gets upgrades and that the goal is make him more and more human, and he starts actively wanting to be a human. And so it is all these questions of like, okay, well, humans can love, so I'm going to learn how to do that. Well, oh, humans have biological organs, and so I'm going to start getting those. And gradually, bit by bit, all the parts are getting replaced. And so it's like a ship of Theseus thought experiment thing that at what point... Does something that started out in one form become a new item? Does it stay the same if ultimately all the parts are swapped out? And at what point
1: does a machine transition to a human? So at my house, for breakfast, we have oatmeal almost every morning. And we usually don't finish the whole batch of oatmeal. There's usually like a half cup of it left or a cup of it left. And so we put it in a Tupperware... And then the next morning, at least if I'm making it, I take that oatmeal and I throw it in the new batch that I'm making as I heat it up and I stir it all together. And I got a big kick out of it. Katie called it oatmeal of Theseus because it's how far do you have to it's it's I don't know if that's actually the correct analogy there, but. I like that idea that, like, you never have fully replaced the oatmeal. It's always, it, at what point does it become the, the new oatmeal as opposed to part of the old oatmeal? That that
0: makes me think of, I guess, a tradition that has to do with the Yule log at Christmas. At least some places they, like, scoop up the charcoal from one year's batch and then they put it on the fire with the fresh log the, new, the next time. And so it's like you've all you've got all the accumulated Christmases there, but with you, it's it's oatmeal that you're trying to eat.
1: Yeah. Well, I was thinking it's it's almost more like Zeno's paradox, where you can never fully eliminate the original oatmeal because as soon as you have a little bit left, you you put it back in, and it gets diluted further and further, just like the Zeno's paradox of the slow runner and the fast runner. How the sl- the fast runner never really catches up with the slow runner because anytime the fast runner cuts the distance in half, the slow runner is moved a little bit more.
0: Right. Yeah. It's like you have to clear an infinite number of smaller distances. So how can you ever go anywhere? Right. Actually, I think Zeno's paradox comes up in this movie because at the robot convention, all the scientists are asking chitty questions and one of them asks him about Achilles and the tortoise. It all comes together. And actually, what that scene made me think of, to jump back, was the Elephant Man, where you got Anthony Hopkins
1: showing off the Elephant Man to his colleagues. Isn't that also a Frankenstein thing? Or it's at least in Young Frankenstein. Yeah. You know, the
0: old school anatomy classroom model of you're showing off your your freak, basically. But... According to Dr. Bora's plan, now Chitty's in love with Sana, and it creates tension in their perfect world. Now you got this robot love triangle
1: going on. (laughs) And some of the things are so weird. Like, he helps her cheat on a medical exam, and then helps helps a woman give birth to a baby. A different woman. But, like, Sana's there as the nurse or something like that. I don't know. And the weirdest one is he's like watching her sleep and a mosquito bites her okay yeah sure that happens and then he like vows vengeance upon this mosquito and chases it to this utter colony of mosquitoes and is like trying to find the exact mosquito that bit her so he can retrieve it and bring it back to her and show her he found the exact one and then kill it then and to do
0: this, he talks to the mosquitoes. Uh, he apparently has mosquito language.
1: Get Barry in the lead here. You can talk to animals now. That's a, that's a great technology. Did you just happen to, like, just invent that on the fly as you were building this robot? I don't know. Yeah, the crazy
0: thing, I don't even remember that scene the first time I watched it. So I wonder if it's a Spy Kids shark urination scene deal. Where, like, it's it's like a DVD bonus or something.
1: Director's cut or something. Yeah,
0: because I was scratching my head as well. Not only is the love triangle creating trouble, but... Chitty botches his army audition. Because instead of, like... Blowing things up with hand grenades, he goes up to the generals and starts reciting poetry. Because he's a lover, not a fighter now. And... This is enough to set Vesegrin off. And Vesegrin chops Chitty up with an axe. He just, he's like, this is not working for me anymore, Chitty. You gotta go. And chops him up.
1: This felt like a Sam Raimi scene or something like that. It's just like a weird, creepy, but like vaguely comic vibe as he's like slicing limbs off this robot that we have mostly perceived as Humanoid and just like gradually flailing on the ground in like pieces. It's like violently slapstick but also darkly comic. And I don't know, it I love this scene, it was just so wild.
0: <laughs> because, yeah, it's it doesn't like really hurt chitty, but you know, it's it's I'm not mad, just disappointed. It's like, what did I do, creator? why are you doing this to me
1: as he's getting his limbs severed off by an axe why an axe too (laughs) yeah what is it why does an axe
0: even work like we've seen that he's pretty much indestructible but i guess when the time comes you can just chop him up uh and and yeah they just haul him out and unceremoniously toss him on the trash heap and wouldn't you know it you bore a I guess is waiting out there in his van or something out by the dump, cause he knows just where to be to scoop up the discarded robot. He also hires the stupid lab assistants
1: away from Vesequin. The These goddamn lab assistants—they're like stupid comic relief, yeah. And then they turn turn bad. They join the bad dudes. <laughs> And, no, this is weird to me. It was weird the first
0: time, extra weird now, but so Bora gets Chitty into his office and is uh, restoring him to life. And uh, so this is not the weird part yet, um, but he tells Chitty that Bora sees the real him. Vasigarin never saw you for who you were. He just wanted you to be an object, but I know that you're... A person, essentially, that you have feelings and passions and you need to follow those passions and I'm going to let you do that. And so this time around, this made me think of like uh, an Emperor
1: and Darth Vader thing from Star Wars. Oh, like lean into the dark side. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The Jedi wouldn't let you feel your feelings, but you let your anger flow. I know the true way to realize
1: your full potential. Have you heard the legend of Darth Plagueis or whatever his name is? Yeah, it's not a story Vesegarin would tell you.
0: (laughs) Uh, But no, the weird part is now Chitty's up and walking around again and has human skin. And Bora comes up to Chitty and the lab assistants and he says, okay, guys.
1: Time to put the evil chip in. <laughs> it's it's no more subtle than that. Well, here's the evil superpower one. We're just going to slap that bad boy right in there. There's no way that backfires. Yeah.
0: And the, the lab assistants for once show some common sense and they're like, what? Why are we going to do that? That seems like a weird and bad idea. And he's like, no, this was my plan all along because by now we know that Bora is going to sell chitty to German terrorists who I don't know, they want to like destroy buildings and stuff and so they they want a chitty. So he puts in this glowing red chip, plugs it into chitty and he says it's going to give him the destructive powers of 100 men which I think we got to point out he already had. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He already had that. He was already made to be a killing machine. I guess this is just like taking out the dancing and cooking. He's not going to be a Michelin chef anymore.
1: He's just going to be a killer. Also, he's going to get uh, sideburns and, and poofy hair. And I don't know if they actually put on dark makeup or not, but definitely channeling a black blaxploitation star at this point.
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, But yes, Evil Chitty has lightning-shaped sideburns. They're awesome. (laughs) I tried to do that once. It is impossible to get them to match on either side of your face. And also impossible to maintain them at all. It's like, you gotta be an expert barber to keep lightning sideburns.
1: Starburns is probably
0: difficult as well. Right. And yeah, so Chitty's off the rails now. No holds are barred anymore. And so he goes on a lust-fueled rampage. One of the very first things he does is straight up murder Bora. So the doctor didn't think that one out.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Wish you had Asimov's laws now. I also like blinked and all of a sudden there were a hundred of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Chitty uses, I guess, Bora's robot facilities and makes a bunch more of himself, but he avoids the mistake that Vossi made because he makes the robots stupider than he is. It's like, you're very clearly going to be Chitty B and Chitty C and, right, you know, Chitty Omega. You're not going to be the top dog because that's me. And so this this mob of chitties now who now we don't just have two Rajnikanths, we've got a hundred. And actually, the way they did this is Vance Hartwell was there with prosthetic Rajnikanth heads on a table, which are just masks. So it's like all these, all these extra titties are just wearing a a mask of the dude, but it looks pretty good.
1: Yeah. I was really wondering how they did this because everything that felt like it was impressive when there was two of them, when there's a hundred of them, all of a sudden, it's kind of mind blowing. And I I figured that they weren't doing like a hundred digital insertions of this one guy walking around that it was something like that, like a mask or makeup or something, but Although there are times when it's clear that they've used CGI to just bring a whole bunch of the same dude together. But anyways, it's it's pretty cool looking.
0: But so this Chitty army goes and King Chitty abducts Sana and takes her off to this like grand palace he's constructing because now he's going to be the ruler of
1: Earth and she's going to be his queen. Yeah, he can do whatever he plans to do with his Kendall smooth area down there. Right.
0: Well, I mean, we see that he can basically create life now, even if it's robotic life. So he does, he talks a little bit about some plan that he's going to make a human robot child. And we don't exactly know how that's going to work, but he's, you know, he's mulling it over. He's thinking about it.
1: He'll extract that DNA and... Make a android or something, yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, but this leads into my favorite number of the movie. The thing that was really the showstopper for me when I watched it. This song is called Arima, Arima, and it takes place in this palace <laughs> where it's the leader chitty surrounded by a horde of other chitties So just a whole bunch of copies of this dude dancing around him. And he's reigning triumphant with Sana by his side. I just love this sequence. There's also robot lions. He has like robot lions guarding his throne years before the Katy Perry Super Bowl show where she had robot lions. So I wonder if she saw this. Actually... She had the sharks. Maybe it was Lady Gaga who had the robot lions. I think it was Katy Perry, though. I think it was during Roar. Um,
1: but I, I thought back to Arima, Arima. I think Lady Gaga is a good touch point because I don't know what you call this aesthetic, but like this kind of exaggerated 1950s vision of sci-fi brought into like a sort of gothic 21st century with like slightly creepy sexual vibes the whole time is, like, very much Lady Gaga, bad romance, her music videos, her general vibe. It's its definitely a spiritual cousin to the strange energy of Lady Gaga here, I think.
0: Yeah, that feels apt. But uh, I'm not doing enough to sell this music number. I really love it. Like, <laughs> just... That there's a million of him dancing around in formation. And they're, you know, they're doing their, like, soldier march around this arena. And they all have the lightning sideburns. Really cool.
1: And I think this is the one where she kind of, like, hops around with a purple dress and a purple cape. And she, like, has this weird dance.
0: Yeah, she's doing, like, butterfly moves with her flowing cape. And at one point they make a bunch of copies of her and that's like a green screen effect. But even that is visually interesting and it's like an echo of her. So they like each each copy makes the same movements as her, but like on a delay. And so she's like doing the wave with herself.
1: That's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: But also while Chitty's on his rampage, he's killing just hundreds and hundreds of people like mass murder Kind of like a Grand Theft Auto where, you know, you, you start a little trouble and a cop shows up and then it's like you blow up the cop car and then it gradually escalates. And like more, you know, the SWAT team comes and then it just, it builds. Same thing here with Chitty. So there's just these extended scenes of carnage. And again, the people persist. They don't give up. They keep trying new things.
1: I like the clone theme, too, especially when the robot was initially already a clone of the scientist. You just get into some weird, like mirrored themes of the freakiness of having multiples of yourself. It's just like an unnatural alien thing that it's really cool when it gets brought up to the exponential alien level. Right, because...
0: I like some of the things that Chitty does with all the copies of himself. They form into these giant constructs because they can stick together magnetically. And so they form a bunch of different objects. Like they form into a sphere and then they all pull out assault rifles. And so they're shooting from every direction at once. But then the ball starts rolling around so it's just this death ball of a hundred chitties. And then it gets wilder than that because it forms into like a cylinder and then the cylinder unrolls into a sheet and like it's just rolling around and squashing people and it's, it's a little like um one of my favorite video games, Katamari Damacy. Mm, yeah. Where it's just a rolling ball of destruction. um, and And then of course... You know, he's got to make a giant humanoid form that's made out of a bunch of the little humans. And so that's running along, stomping on buses and things. Got to Megazord it. Oh, and it turns into a giant cobra. There's a huge snake of chitties. And like, it even opens its mouth and it has like two little robots as fangs and a waggly robot as a tongue. I enjoyed this.
1: Yeah, this, this segment... Really raised the bar for how imaginative these fight scenes were. It did really cool stuff with, it's almost like particle effects in video games. Like all these components assembling. And what are some weird things you can like get these things to do if you have a whole bunch of discrete molecules like voxels or whatever and you get them to behave in some combined unified way mm-hmm. or like a magnetic what's it called is a magnetic sand or something like that like the way you, things you can kind of shape together oh yeah where it forms into the sp- like little spikes
0: yeah yeah it's cool most of this movie i was not impressed with the cgi but here it works well when he's making all these different big forms because you know it it would look a little unnatural if this was going on Eventually, though, the humans are able to, like, blow off one of the clone robots and wreck it, and they scoop it up, and now Vesegrin is working with the, the army and the government, and they're like, you know, you created this problem, so you better do something to stop it. So he is able to, like, hack into this deactivated robot and, like, access the hive mind that's controlling them all. So he can switch off the magnetism that's holding them all together. So that kind of separates out the brain chitty, the key one we've been following all along. And uh, so they like stick him to a electromagnet or something. They they scoop him up, just him. And Vasi's able to pry out the big red evil chip, which never gets any less goofy that he's got this big red evil chip.
1: Uh, one one thing I wanted to throw in there is like there is a whole bit where he, they're infiltrating and I really thought this was clever and kind of like a mirror on the original thing of it, the robot looks just like him is now he is able to look just like the robot and to pretend to be one of the evil chitties. And there's a whole extended bit where he's blending in with the other chitties because he's like giving himself the fake uh, lightning sideburns and whatever. And he could just stand still like all the other robots are standing still. I feel like this is kind of a trope, but I really got a kick out of this.
0: Oh, that was really good. And another example of why it's kind of good that the movie's as long as it is, is like you can't explore all those different scenarios. Right. Because, yeah, King Chitty's walking through the ranks of all his clones. And he's like, someone here is real. There's a an imposter among us. And, uh, because he finds a drop of blood on the floor, so he knows that there's a human somewhere. And and yeah, good tension as he's pacing around. Uh, but now uh, Chitty has been uh, restored to his nature from before. He's more mild-mannered now. And we get an epilogue where Vesigarin is on trial because his creation has wreaked so much havoc. And yeah, to be fair, has killed a whole lot of people, more than I remembered the first time I watched the movie. Like, putting him on trial for war crimes makes sense. But Chitty comes in and says, stop, I want to be heard. And the judge says, hey hey man, you're not a person. Only people can testify and you're a machine. And Chitty says, well, then I'll submit myself as evidence and comes up and says that this wasn't the result of Vesegrin's actions because it was Bora who put the big
1: evil chip inside. <laughs> he decide- He came up with the red LED that lets you know that I was evil. I guess there's something to that,
0: but he, he was created to fight for the army again, to disobey the can't-kill-humans Asimov
1: policy. Yeah, I have zero sympathy for the the scientist Vasi or whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah, you, you made a you made a weapon. The weapon you lost control of and it hurt people. I mean, you sure as somebody else played into this. You made the weapon, buddy. I've got no sympathy for you. I'm putting you behind bars if I'm the judge there.
0: But ultimately, Vassiegrin is let go. He's acquitted. Uh, though Chitty is sentenced to be dismantled. And so we get a scene where he takes himself apart and everybody's kind of teary-eyed looking on. Oh, there he goes, his legs and then his torso. And then, you know, he takes off his own head and now he's all in pieces, which is kind of a cool effect.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, it made me think a little bit of, not for the first time, I haven't mentioned this movie yet, but it made me think of Terminator, specifically Terminator 2, when he has the thumbs up when he goes in the lava and he melts and, and dies. There's even a notable thumbs up, I think, at the court scene. I was like, oh, I wonder if that was intentional. Yeah. And I think there is at least one
0: reference to Chitty being a Terminator in this film. The, the word Terminator is said.
1: Mm. OK.
0: But in the very last moment, uh, we get a scene where it jumps to the future. And we see Indian school children on a visit to a science museum. And there in a display case are the pieces of chitty. And one of the kids asks the teacher, well, why was he taken apart? And the head in the case comes to life. And he says, I started thinking. And that's our mic drop moment that ends the film.
1: (laughs) Robot 2010.
0: I guess... Can't let machines get a little too human. Although, was that really his problem? Maybe it was. I guess it's why he flew off the handle. Is because he had all the robo hormones flowing through his circuit.
1: I feel like this movie was pretty vague on its themes. It was like, don't let technology become too powerful or weaponized or that will be bad, which is like really not... All that specific, like don't let technology be bad is uh, I feel like the theme of 75% of all sci-fis, but the second movie has an extremely specific theme in contrast, but I feel like for this first movie, it kind of worked because it's like a kitchen sink situation. They're throwing every theme and every idea that they could come up with out there. Yeah. Oh, what if the robot was a, a chef? What would he do if he was a chef? He would make everything really fast and really fancy and just like goes through a bajillion different little situations with the robot.
0: And he can like read books really fast. And then he realizes that he's got x-ray vision. He doesn't even need to open the books. He can just look at the book for a little while and absorb everything that's in it. So, Dan, this is the point in the episode where we usually say, what are some good things we noticed and some not so good things? Uh, How are you feeling in
1: the aftermath of Robot? I really like how imaginative and creative the action scenes are with the robots. Just from start to finish, it finds interesting things for him to do. But not just the action scenes, but like all the different scenarios. It felt like. They spent days and days just jotting down ideas. What would you do if you had a robot? And then, like, came up with the 1000 coolest ones and put them into this movie.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's called Robot and it delivers. It, it, like, thinks thoroughly about all sorts of different kinds of scenarios a robot could be involved in and then throws them all
1: in the mix. And I think the music segments add a ton of personality they just I mean you know this style of music and dancing isn't exactly my style in terms of like what I get the most out of but there's just so much energy and visual production in these that I was really feeling like it elevated the movie when it went into the music video mode absolutely
0: agree like every aspect Of the production value gets higher when these things come on screen. I don't know if it was maybe even a different camera team or something. It just has such a rich look during the song sequences. Like, I I think they said they shot in different countries. Pretty sure. Uh, There's a whole number where it looks like they're on Machu Picchu. And there's, like, South American dancers. Yeah. And... They're like standing on mountaintops. And again, there's just this huge cast of background dancers, like 50 men and 50 women. And in the South America song, they've all got like elaborate feather headdresses and there's like llamas standing around. It's nuts. And yeah, then there's these multiple numbers with all the robot dancers. And even when it's just the two of them, you get things like that big, wide desert scape that catch your eye and stick in your memory.
1: Another thing I liked, the two leads are both really good in very different ways. So Rajnikanth, who's the scientist and the robot and the evil robot, he's got this malleability about both his, the way that he plays each of those different things that you almost can't even believe it's the same actor And just this physicality of like the things that he's doing that he doesn't feel like a sexy, fun movie star. It's almost like if Jack Black was a skinny action star, not a chubby goofball or maybe like a Jackie Chan, but not quite so into the Kung Fu, but with a little bit more variation in the way that he expressed himself. He's just like is hopping and bopping around the the frame and it's a it's a fun performance like it almost feels like he's as invested in the vision of this movie as the directors and writers might have been like i wonder how much he was uh a voice in it too because it really feels suited to his specific talents
0: you're right i mean i i almost forgot that they were the same person because like the, the robot really does feel distinct And then, especially when the shackles are off and he's unleashed, I I love the laugh that Evil Chitty does. And you get a lot of that during the Arima Arima, where he's just, like, chuckling this rich laugh. Whoa, ah, ha, ha, ha. He really seems like he's having a good time.
1: Right. And then Ashwarya Rai, she's, like, a legit actress. She's really felt like a class above everyone else in terms of real acting and like getting into the emotions of a scene and inhabiting this character with like real, with incentives. I mean, she kind of outclasses from an acting perspective, everyone else around her. So I thought they were both, they, they made a pair of excellent leads. Yep. I concur. If not exactly matched like with very different strengths, but both good in their own ways. Yeah, I'm
0: curious to see her in another movie, Uh, so we might have to check out that Bride and Prejudice you mentioned. Any other good things you wanted to call out, or are we ready to uh, dig down into the mire?
1: We can pivot to our not-so-good things.
0: Okay, well, the big thing for me is that the CGI is chitty. (laughs) It's not good a lot of the time. Uh, Especially, there's a scene... With a baby. And <laughs> this baby is a nightmare. Like, it looks awful.
1: Well, but isn't that like the baby through a monitor or something like that when it's in the CGI form? And then it pops out, and then you see like a baby extra with gunk added on top of it? Right, yeah. So there's two scenes there's one
0: where a baby gets
1: thrown in the air by the robot
0: and it goes super high so they couldn't use a real baby. And that looks real bad. Okay. Um, But then, yeah, during the delivery scene, it's like the... Because Chitty has like x-ray eyes and he can also do like a classroom overhead projector thing where he like shines something on a wall. And so he can like look inside the woman and then broadcast out what he's seeing. And yeah, we get this interior view of the baby what's supposed to be like an ultrasound and this baby again is the none too good looking cgi
1: approximation it's funny that the cgi itself didn't actually bother me that much i think in part because the tone of the movie is goofy enough that i was like never immersed in its cinematic world such that Moments of bad CGI brought me out and I, I feel like in general they were doing fun things with it, even when it didn't look good. It's like I, I'd put it at least a tier above the Spy Kids movies, for example. I mean, there, there are moments that are really ugly, like I didn't like the mosquito swarm. I thought that was just so stupid, but um, that didn't really pull me out all that much. I got to say,
0: I'll say I feel a little differently regarding Spy Kids Because they never tried a CGI human that I recall. You know, it was always thumb-thumbs and always, you know, various robot things and pogo-toads. Never trying to do like a baby. Which, you know, hard to make a convincing human because we see humans all the time. So... I guess kudos for them trying that, but it's it's very difficult. I mean, look at, like, the old Pixar short Tin Toy and the baby in that. Yeah. Uh, the baby here is better than that one, but not not a very good CGI baby. Not, not to my opinion. But did you have other not-so-good things?
1: Well, I had one just overwhelmingly not-so-good thing, and that is this movie is three hours long, and, man do you feel those three hours? It really feels like a mini series or something because it's just shifting through like 27 different mini episodes across these three hours. And there are so many different little stories it's telling and exploring. And I like the variety, but I was just so exhausted and just like kind of eyes glazed over from time to time. On, on just the expansiveness of it. There are ways to make three-hour movies work. I mean, heck, I gave a seven to a five-hour stupid documentary of home videos not too long ago. But I just feel like when you're a movie like this, it's like a Marvel movie, but not even as dramatic as that. It's just thing happens, thing happens, thing happens. So episodic. For three hours, that even if many, in fact, maybe most of those mini episodes are pretty good, that I just (laughs) get worn out by it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you think of the length, Brian?
0: I think there are strengths and weaknesses to the runtime. As we've said, it, it gives them a wide playing field to work in a whole bunch of different concepts. But yeah, at times it drags. I feel like the first time I watched it in the movie theater, I was probably going in and out during the movie because I was, like, helping run the festival. Um, So I may not have seen the whole thing the first time around. I remembered key things about it. I didn't remember the weird mosquito scene. This time around, I actually consumed this one in a couple settings, and I think that may have even been to its advantage. Mm. It's like, yeah, you can watch it in chunks. This could. I kind of want, like, a...
1: Chitty TV series. Yeah. It's like, I want to know more about his adventures. I want the episode where he fights on a train. And then the episode where he has to go underwater. And then the episode where he fights a bunch of animals. Uh, Yeah. I feel
0: like there's promise. Yeah. Another thing it made me think of actually was... Have you ever seen the TV show Get Smart? No. The old one? Yeah. So it was an old sitcom about spies. It was... A parody of james bond basically mm-hmm. and so there's this spy organization that the main character works for and occasionally he'll interact with other agents on missions from his agency and they've all got code numbers that they go by and so uh max the main guy he's number 86 and uh the the main woman is 99 And there are other guys, uh, recurring numbers that he runs into, 44 and 13, and and they pop in and out. Um, One who does not have a number, though, uh, there's a character who is a robot, and his name is Jaime. He goes through some of these situations, and, you know, he's got the stereotypical, like, doesn't use contractions and uh, thinks of everything, like Amelia B amelia bedelia style you know doesn't understand figures of speech like oh Jaime, get out of here it's time for you to hit the road and he like goes out and slaps the street and stuff like that yeah so yeah this is it has its place in the history of robot cinema it's like it plays on some old tropes also contributes some new creative ideas
1: Yeah, I can see that for sure. I mean, it's a well-executed vision of what a android robot could look like in the sense that you see him acting out under fairly consistent principles, like rules of behavior for this robot across a wide variety of scenes. And I feel like that could be extended out and kind of poked and prodded in different ways. And you get some of that here, but I feel like turn it to a TV show, yeah, you could do uh, a 14-episode season and have 14 fun and really varied hour-long adventures.
0: Yeah, so as Dan has said, there is a sequel. Uh, it's called 2.0, and I'm curious to know more about that. But maybe first, do we say, is this movie good? Is it that time?
1: Uh, Sure. Then I can tell you about 2.0.
0: Okay. So, Dan, Antheron, the robot, from 2010, blockbuster of Tamil cinema,
1: is it good? So sometimes when we get to this, is it good section, the number that I'm going to throw on there is very clearly honed in my sense of cinematic taste and... I know exactly where it lands and I it's kind of well justified and and there's comps. I I I recently bought a house and so the phrase comps is on my mind as in similar things that you can use as reference points. And this is an example of a movie that I don't have good comps for. I when I throw a rating on it, it's kind of just a number that's dust in the wind for what is overall a an experience that is very different from other experiences that I've had. The strengths here are the tremendous visual kinetic imagination around the high octane robot action. It's fun. It's creative. It's clever. It's a good time. I maybe would say (laughs) play the last hour. That's the, the most fun hour in terms of the, creative things it does, but they're, they're, honestly, from the, from start to finish, there's a pretty good amount of interesting things going on. I think the opening 45 minutes or so is maybe the slowest part, but it picks up. But um, I also like the leads and um, I like the, just the commitment to the idea, but I really never fully was heart-poundingly engaged in what was going on. It was sort of a detached appreciation and enjoyment. And it's just really long and just not exactly my style overall. I don't know. I I can see the case for many different possible ratings on this. I'm going to land on a five. I, I think it's good. I really do. I think it's enjoyable. I think it's clever. I think it's well done. But I also wasn't totally swept away with this movie. so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a good a five. What about you Brian? Is robot good? I'm actually gonna give this
0: an exceptionally good, a seven out of eight and I waffled a little bit. I knew it was gonna be like high six territory. and a lot of this comes from how much I enjoy the music and just these sprawling scenes with so many different dancers. Like, this is among the most expensive Indian films ever made. It makes me want to see some others for some comparison. But, like, I wish I could draw on some of these resources, just how many people they were able to get involved and get into robot suits. It's like, this is really cool. Where else have you seen so many robots dancing at once, Dan?
1: I can't say that I have an answer to that.
0: But yeah. Not a perfect film by any means. Production quality is kind of all over the map, depending on different aspects you look at. Although the performances are very strong. I think there's a lot about the story that's interesting. You get a lot of different things that happen over that sprawling runtime. So I think like any rating you give this, I'm not really going to argue with it just because there are different things you could point to and different points in the three-hour-long movie, and make a valid judgment. But it it's pretty high up there for me. I like it. Uh, it shows you things you haven't seen before. I'd say check it out, even if you just toss on some of the excised song portions. But the story didn't end with Entharan, Dan. So tell us a little bit about what happens in 2.0.
1: Just uh, broad strokes. Yeah, this came out eight years later. So it came out in 2018. A couple of things about it. One, I don't want to bury the lead. The lead actress is gone, as we talked about. The There's no musical numbers in this, Brian. So right out the front. What?
0: Wow. Yeah. I heard something that it said it was more action focused,
1: but how could it even be a movie if there's no music numbers? So... There is one music number, and that is over the credits at the very end. Oh, all right. And that's a good number. It's actually well done, but it it still feels like just tacked on at the end because the story is all wrapped up and that you're kind of, you know, signing off or walking out of the theater and then they're dancing up there. Maybe you probably sit around and watch it, but, you know, and they have a new actress in as the sort of attractive female lead And she's a woman named Amy Jackson. So she's British Indian. And um, she plays a female android who's like the assistant to the scientist. The premise of this one is just it's real wild and very specific. So basically these cell phones. So everybody's cell phones like start flying out of their hands and disappearing into the sky. And it turns out they're kind of all congregating together and we get these crazy action scenes where like the cell phones are like forming these different creatures and attack formations as if they're like all have a shared brain. And it keeps using this really recurring and really creepy effect where you think the cell phones are all gone and then all of them turn on at once. So like imagine the blue light of a cell phone, like when you hit a button on your cell phone or, or like pull out your cell phone out of your pocket and it's got that kind of fake uh, mechanical blue light to it. And just like literally tens of thousands of them turning on at once. And sometimes you'll just walk into a room and you be like, something's not right here. And then the entire room will have been made out of these phones. And it's like one of the most unusual visual effects I've ever seen very cool but it turns out like the the premise is that <laughs> there are ghosts in robot world and the ghosts have taken over the cell phones and we get this like half hour long exposition sequence where we learn that there was a scientist who when he was a baby he was resurrected by a bird and thus feels kinship to birds and now he knows that cell phone radiation kills birds And so he spends his time walking around and weeping on the ground as he picks up these birds because they've been killed by the cell phone radiation. And then when he died, he got his revenge by inhabiting all of the cell phones because he he hanged himself at a cell phone tower. So his ghost got spread out to all of the cell phones in all of India. And now they're flying around doing these crazy effects. And so it's got these horror elements and some like kind of gruesome kills with this these cell phones against like executives of cell phone companies. But it also has very much a Marvel vibe to it. It actually felt quite a bit like a Marvel movie in terms of just having a superhero vibe to it where um, eventually the scientist resurrects uh, Chitty, and Chitty is, kind of plays the Iron Man role. And the evil robots end up eventually like taking this form of uh, this monster. It's kind of like an ultron bad guy, Marvel vibe. And just lots of really creative visual stuff. So lots of cool action. It, just totally out there. There is a baby in this one. But this baby is animatronic. And I think animatronic baby is better than bad CGI baby although it's still clearly very fake. They have a thing where they have a 2.0 version of Chitty and then a 3.0 version of Chitty and the 3.0 version of Chitty is this mini Chitty who can do like interesting things because it's really small and like can again have particle effects but like very focused because he's he's very small and do lots of creative things with it. It's it's fun. It's worth watching. It's forty five minutes shorter. It's about two hours and twenty minutes instead of three hours. I miss the music, but I also thought that it was just kind of goofy and fun. Um, although there is still a little bit of bad CGI when there's the ghosty stuff that it tries to do. Again, it felt kind of marvelly to me. But
0: yeah, that definitely that definitely sounds pretty interesting. I want to. Check this out. And it's easier to find. I mean, it is it's up on Amazon Prime. You can watch this one.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's worth doing. Would you be ready to throw a rating on this one? I think I'd also give this one a five. OK. One last detail I wanted to throw in there is we get so the the, the lead actor. What's his name again? Rajnikanth. Yeah, Rajnikanth. So one twist, uh, if you're. Leaning to watch it, I won't. I'll try not to be too spoily, but there's a point where the ghost is in the actor body of Rajnikanth, so Rajnikanth is playing like six different roles in this movie. So it's heightened even from the one that that we watched for this episode, and they decide they need to resurrect evil Chitty at one point too, for. Reasons that are kind of hand waved away. It kind of makes sense in the moment, but mostly you just want to see that goofy hairdo and lightning star burns again or whatever it is. It it's pretty fun. So yeah. Awesome. I'm gonna toss that one on here soon. Listeners, now that you've heard from us, let's hear from someone else. Email us a review of Robot or 2.0 or any film we've previously discussed and we might read yours here on the pod. If we do pick your review, we'll send you a $5 Amazon gift card, enough for a free movie rental. You can send your review to podcast at gmail.com. That's thegoodsfilmpodcasts at gmail.com. Our review this week comes from Sean Gilman. And here's what he wrote on Letterboxd about Robot. He said, 60-year-old man builds a robot that is an idealized copy of himself. This perfect and innocent being is corrupted by horniness for Ashwarya Rai Bakchan, which I think is she got married and she added on the last name. Ashwarya Rai Bakchan, and the robot turns evil, creating hundreds of copies of himself, and tries to take over the world with magnets and stuff. Ah, cinema. It's slow to get going, but the last hour starting around the time that they're singing in Machu Picchu for some reason, is some of the craziest, most beautiful nonsense that I have ever seen. So thanks, Sean, for your thoughts on Robot from 2010.
0: And guys, that's Robot and the ongoing adventures. And in our discussion this week, it really got me thinking about how many good, compelling robot movies are out there like... Honestly, I think at some point we could do a robot month.
1: It would be a good theme month, yeah.
0: Because there's a lot you can do with it. You can have dark, pessimistic robot stories. You can have funny robot stories. I was thinking about, you know, there's so many that you can name. There's Wally, Short Circuit. I was thinking Batteries Not Included. There's, like, one with Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters called Heartbeeps. Beeps. Uh, I know my brother likes to talk about Robots 2005, the the animated one. Uh, he uh, kind of a running gag with him and his friends is turn an unrelated conversation around to the topic of Robots from 2005. It's like uh, you know, there's that uh, Obi Wan Kenobi series coming out. I'm really looking forward to seeing the the star of Robots 2005 doing something again. That's uh, that's Ewan McGregor. really yeah as uh rodney copperbottom the protagonist wow i didn't know that but yeah lots of lots of good films we could talk about uh on on the robot topic but that is not what's coming next we're not here in robot month we're wrapping up march and about to move on to something new so i think we might have a, a surprise in store for april something unusual something Creative and and new and boundary pushing, is that fair to say, Dan? I don't know if we're gonna specifically say anything yet.
1: Yeah, I think you'll you'll hear something fun. We'll see what we got this this first of April, uh, here on the Goods. But yeah, should be something something out of the ordinary.
0: And we hope you'll join us once again on the Goods, a film podcast.